Do you have any regrets in life? Have you ever asked yourself this or the people you love? Today, Neil and I share candidly our regrets in life and what we've learned from them. We also share the top three most common things people regret before they die and three resolutions you can make today that will help you avoid some of the deepest regrets of life. We are together today recording this episode about regrets, and this is something we started talking about this morning. It was a really interesting conversation, and it took a while to talk through, and I'm excited to talk about it today on the podcast. I think it's a great topic that a lot of people may or may not have thought about, but it's something that probably most people will deal with at some point in their life. I started out by asking Neil this morning, do you have any regrets? So... Let's start with you, Neil, again. Do you have any regrets? And if so, what are they? There's the ones that I, that come to mind are actually, they're kind of trivial, but for whatever reason, they just have stuck out in my mind my entire life. (laughs) And so they're from childhood. Mm -hmm. So I used to race BMX bikes. Me and my brothers did tons of fun, loved it and really, really into it. But there was one race that I did where you have two or three qualifying races. So you you try and qualify for the main. And then there's the main event or the main race. And that's like the winner takes all type of deal. And so I did the first heat race and I wrecked in the middle of the race. And I got kind of got the wind knocked out of me, got beat up a little bit. And then they had another heat race, but then I had a, a final opportunity to qualify for the main. And one of my friends was like, Hey, you can just, you don't have to race. You can just kind of bow out and just, you know, quit and you won't go to the main, but just like, you know, you don't have to do this. And so I I was like, okay, yeah, I'll just hang back. And so I just hung back and I watched, it ended up that, that there was just one other person that I would have raced in that heat race. So he raced all by himself and was all jazzed and excited because it was just him and he went to the main and for whatever reason that stuck out to me as a time I'm like, I just quit. Like I could have raced. I, f- I felt fine. I was a little rattled and got the wind knocked out of me when I wrecked, but I was fine and I could have raced. And I just watched this kid that I, I was pretty confident I could have beat just kind of mosey on through to the finish. And I was just so, for whatever reason that stuck out of my mind, I'm like, I can't believe I just quit. And I was so bummed about it. And you're how old? And it's been how many years? I still want to go. I need to like do some type of maybe go back and race somebody (laughs) and try and recapture that moment. Um, But It's been like probably 30 years, right? Yeah. This was, I was probably like eight or nine when this happened. But still, it stuck with me. Okay. And then the other one was a kind of similar type of deal. I was probably in sixth grade, 12 or 13. And I played football, little league football. And I was always on, you had to make weight to be able to play. If you wanted to not be like a lineman, defensive or offensive lineman in little league, you had to be under or or less than a certain weight. Mm -hmm. If you were too heavy, they just automatically put you on the line. So I always wanted to play running back. My claim to fame is that I played running back with a future NFL star (laughs) who went on to play for the New York Giants. He was the reason why I didn't play running back. So I'm like, you know. It's all his fault. At least it was somebody who uh, I feel pretty good about that. I, I lost my position to a future NFL star. But nonetheless, I made weight that year. I still played the line. I played a different position. But the coach was letting me play running back during practice. And he felt like well, there's potential there. I felt pretty good about it. I'd always wanted to play running back. But the regular season ran out. Then we had an opportunity to go to kind of this like losers bracket type of final game. And I was like, no, I'm not going to go. I just, I'm not feeling it. And so again, I quit. I'm like, whatever. I'm just, I'm not Because you kind of felt like it was beneath you or what? I felt like I was just kind of done with football. I think I was just frustrated at that moment because I'd wanted to play running back all the time and okay. I always got put on the line mm-hmm. or played like, I liked as defensive end. I love, I love that position, but I always wanted to run the ball and I never was just too big and not fast enough. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was like, whatever. And then after the game, like the next week, I ran into one of my friends at school and he's like, hey, 
coach was going to let you play running back in that game if you had gone. And I just was so bummed. I'm like, that was my one opportunity to play running back in a game, run the ball, and I'd quit again. And so those are the two instances. Funny. I guess I should be thankful. It's not something more significant, but it haunted me to the point where I think later on in life, I've always remembered that. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to quit. Like I want to stay in and I want to follow through with something. But ironically, those are kind of two, I don't know, kind of lame examples, but for whatever reason that stands out. Well, you don't regret it necessarily because you feel like you would have had an NFL career waiting for you. No. What is it about those two situations that you regret? If you could go back and do it over, why? It's the opportunity and knowing the potential for the opportunity that I could have had. Yeah. Knowing that I could have done something great or had a great experience or had the opportunity to do something that I'd always wanted to do or potentially compete to win in the main event when I was racing bikes. But I, but it's a lot, the pain of a lost opportunity. Okay. I'm going to come back to you in just a minute and ask the follow-up question I asked to you. But first I want to just share a couple of my regrets in life. So I haven't shared this with you yet, but Miss Utah, when I, so I, Neil loves to tell people this, that I was Miss Provo. Miss Provo. And I was, and people will say, well, how are you Miss Provo? It's because I lived down in Provo for four years, Provo, Utah, while I was going to school at BYU. And I ran for Miss Provo and won, which was a huge blessing. It paid for my senior year of college. And so then automatically I had a chance to run for Miss Utah, which would go on to Miss America. So it's a huge scholarship opportunity, but also a really cool opportunity to be an ambassador for the state of Utah and do a lot of really great community impact kind of things. And there was like, there's a competitive side of me too, for sure. This is my regret as right after I won Miss Provo, I met this guy that was my boyfriend all throughout the next year. And I got so sucked into that relationship that I completely lost sight of preparing for that or really doing anything to be all in on. This was like a once in a lifetime opportunity to go to a state pageant and be able to compete and then possibly go on to Miss America. When I was a kid and people would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would always say Miss America because I grew up watching the Miss America pageant with my mom. And I remember it was one of those special nights once a year when I could stay up till pretty late to see who was crowned the winner each year. And I had so much potential. Like I had a very solid talent. I could play the piano. In fact, I was doing a piano performance at BYU at the time. And I had, well, actually, I think I had moved on to broadcast journalism, but I had strong interview skills. I was confident. I was in great shape for, I had all of the things lined up that you need to be able to succeed at something like that. And I put basically no work into preparing for Miss Utah. And the girls who were in the top five and top three and the girl who wins each year is someone who works their butt off all year long preparing for that. They are, that's like their, their job day and night. They're always thinking about it, always working at it, you know, and I just didn't do anything. So I was so distracted by this relationship that ended up going nowhere. It was actually really not healthy relationship. But I just look back and I'm like, man, I got so distracted by this silly romance in college that I knew was not good for me. And I just wasted away an opportunity that could have been so cool. And I knew it kind of like you're talking about these things that you quit. I went, I competed, I showed up for Miss Utah, but the whole time I felt so underprepared. I felt like this is so embarrassing. I'm capable of so much more and I just stumbled my way through the whole week. And and I look back and I think I could have, and it's not really about, oh, I could have won Miss Utah. I could have been Miss Utah and gone to Miss America. I suppose that's part of it. But more than anything, I could have had that once in a lifetime experience and been really proud of myself walking away and saying, I did everything I could. I put it all out on the table and I did the opposite. I felt like I just kind of barely showed up and did not do my best. And I look back and I regret that because it could have been such a better experience. Another one is 
not serving a mission. And that's the one of the few regrets that I share oftentimes because I look back on that time of my life. And it's something that I wanted to do my whole life. Like my dad made serving a mission sound so cool. And he was so passionate about that. He still is. Obviously, my parents are serving a mission right now in Spain. But I just remember growing up thinking, oh, that would be so awesome to be a sister missionary and every day wake up, put on an outfit, put the tag on and represent Jesus Christ and go around doing service and teaching people about Jesus. And there was something in me that just like there was a fire in me that burned to want to do that. And then again, because I got... Because of a boy. Yeah, because I got so distracted by a relationship and by being obsessed with having that work out and and it didn't work out. And then because of the Miss Provo thing, I had to wait a little bit longer until that responsibility was fulfilled until I had the opportunity to go on a mission. And I did talk to my bishop at the time and he said, let's wait until you're so close to being done with school. I only had one more year and he was like, let's talk about it at the end of the year if that's still of interest to you. And I didn't end up doing it because of another relationship, which is actually that's the next thing that I need to talk about. But yeah, I, I look back at that and I think how different my life would have been if I had followed that lifelong passion of wanting to serve a mission. And instead I let my boy craziness, like my, and I think that it's common. I think a lot of girls that I know gave up things that they wanted to do for themselves because they wanted to set aside their own passions and their own interests in place of a relationship or a boyfriend. And my parents always said to me in high school, you'll have so much more fun if you don't have a boyfriend. And they were definitely right because the times that I didn't have a boyfriend, I had so much more fun. And it's not that I regret the time I had a boyfriend in high school, but I definitely had a lot more fun when I didn't have a boyfriend. And so anyway, I'm getting off track a little bit, but if I look back at my life and the things that probably extremely changed the trajectory of my life, had an extreme impact on the trajectory of my life is what I was trying to say. Words are hard sometimes. Not serving a mission is one that I look back and think I could have had such great potential if I had served a full-time mission for my church. And so I that's something that hopefully Neil and I will get to do together someday. But that's a regret. And then I also, as we were talking about this, I really felt like I needed to share this story. And I usually am very careful and respectful of how I talk about my former marriage because there's a lot of complicated reasons. Most of all, that it just doesn't do any good to bring up old things. But this is particularly about me and my choice and my, how do I say this? This was my choice to not listen to that voice of warning. So When I was dating my ex-husband and we were getting close to marriage and we got engaged, there were two times that I felt a very strong prompting to not marry him. And I didn't listen. I just did it anyway. And there was, so one time we got into a big argument, maybe like 10 days or two weeks or something before the wedding. And I remember staying up all night and talking to my roommate and trying to figure out what to do. And I had serious doubts at that point. And I remember having a very, very strong prompting, do not go through with this. But I was getting ready mentally to call it off to, and I knew it was going to take a lot of guts and courage. But sadly, the things that held me back were, what if this is your only chance to get married? What if no one else ever loves you again? What if if you say no to this, then you're never going to have the wedding that your parents wanted to give you. And, oh, there's all these people flying into town. There are all these like really silly worldly reasons for not wanting to follow that, that voice that was telling me, don't do this. So I, by the next morning, I brushed it all aside and kept going. And then the day of the wedding, sitting in the temple right before the ceremony, I had another strong, strong impression. Do not go through with this. And I did anyway. And now obviously like that, <laughs> that didn't work out. And, and I learned a lot from it, but I hope to teach my kids someday. And just the way that I'm openly talking about it here, that that was my choice. And I chose to go against what the spirit told me to do. And 
I hope that my kids can have the courage to, even when they're worried about what it's going to look like or how the logistics are going to work out, that if there's a voice of warning, that they will listen to it. They'll have the courage to listen to it. And I wish so badly that I could go back and make that hard, courageous decision to listen to the voice of warning. And I just, I wasn't strong enough to do it or I just didn't choose to do that. And that's a regret. So it's not so much, I learned a lot of things from going through that divorce. And I think there's part of me that feels like Heavenly Father needed me to learn compassion and understanding and what it's like to be the odd man out in our church, which our church focuses so much on family. And I learned what it meant to be that person that shows up to church each week and you are kind of the the misfit, like the social misfit. I know what that feels like. And I feel like I have a stronger connection to women in our church congregations who show up, who don't have the cookie cutter family to sit next to because I've been there. So that's a gift. That's something I've learned. But as far as regrets go in my life, it's not even the regret of the marriage, if that makes sense. It's the regret of not listening to the spirit. And so that's one that I always think of. And then I have one last one, and then I want to talk to you about the question I asked you. But my last real regret when I think back on my life, because I've, li- I've made a ton of mistakes. I have made a lot of mistakes. There's no question about it. A lot of my mistakes, I feel like, though, taught me something, and I repented, and I learned, and that's the way God intends for us to be, is to make mistakes, learn from them, get better move on, become a better person. And all of that is great. So a lot of the mistakes I made in life, I learned something from them. But one regret that I have that I feel like I will never get back, and I'm just, I all I can do is my best to try to make a living amends. But when I look back at the all the years that my sister and I grew up in the same household, and I was so mean to her. I was so mean to my one sister, Brooke. And I, she just was annoying to me and I thought I was too cool and there was a six year difference between us and I just acted pretty much always like, I can't stand you, leave me alone. And it's a total regret to me. I look back and I think, what a waste, so many years wasted of me acting too cool, not spending time with her. I remember one time my mom just crying and begging me to be nicer to her and just saying, she is so cool. She has so much to offer. She's so fun. People at school love her. Her friends love her. If you would just give her a chance. And I just was so stubborn about it and so hard-hearted. I was like, I don't remember what I said to my mom at the time, but I was just way too cool for her. And and yeah, I look back on those years and it's with so much regret for what a missed opportunity that was when we could have had great childhood memories together and we have very few and that's my fault. That's on me. And so all I can do now is try to make a living amends of that and have a great relationship with her, which I feel like I do. And I feel like we are super close. She's one of my best friends and we thoroughly enjoy spending time together and having our families together. And when we talk on the phone, I just feel like we connect so well and she understands me on a level that a lot of very few other people do. And so she's one of my most cherished relationships now. But it's a regret that I have just basically looking back and saying, what could have been? Like, what a waste all those years that we could have had a beautiful relationship. And that was on me. So those are some of my regrets. But I thought it was super interesting, Neil, when I asked you, okay, you've had two close brothers, your two full brothers, because you have three half brothers, your two closest brothers, not only in age, but also they were from your same mom and dad. They've both passed away. So I said, do you have any regrets when it comes to Steve or when it comes to Dave? So... Really, I don't have a lot. I mean, I think with my brother, Steve, he was the older of the two. So there was a pretty big age gap. I mean, he was, you know, when he died, he was he died at 19. And at that time, I was like 12, 12 mm-hmm. or 13, not 12. And so, but I remember spending a lot of time with him in spite of that age gap. And I think of like looking back, it's really impressive to me that, he would hang out with me like all the time. We had a pool table in our basement and that was kind of the thing that brought all of us together and kept us close. I'd go down there, his room and my brother Dave's room was just right next to each other in our basement. And then the pool table was just outside of their room. So I'd go down there and I just start playing pool by myself, kind of taking a few shots. And then inevitably I, I just knew 
Steve would always come out and he'd always be like, rack them up. That was like the thing I just remember him saying, like, rack them up, let's play a game. And then we would play a game and pool was kind of a cool setup because it's, you know, you're taking shots. It's kind of a slower, thought out, methodical game. So in between shots, you're having a conversation or it kind of lends itself to a lot of communication. And so he was super open with me and he would just, he would tell me about what was going on in his life. There's a lot of turmoil, a lot of struggle, a lot of challenges, but he would just talk to me openly about it. And so I learned a lot just having those conversations and was able to spend a lot of time with him leading up to the time that he died. And it really had a huge impact on my life and mm-hmm. completely changed, I think, the, the direction that I potentially would have gone had I not had that communication. Are you willing to share like that, specifically that conversation that was like a yeah. Totally changed your life. No, absolutely. you've shared it with I've me. I've shared it on the podcast before. Oh, you have. Okay. But one of the things, I mean, he, he was super open with me. He struggled with, you know, drugs and different alcohol and smoking and was really working to overcome those things. He wanted to go on a mission. And so he was trying to do those things, but it just was, it was hard for him. And so it was probably six months before he died. I remember him just sitting down with me and he was never one to be, really be like forceful or tell me what to do or anything like that. It was always just kind of, you know, really casual that way. But this time he got really serious and he sat down with me and he just looked me straight in the eye and was just super, really, really intense. And he's like, I want you to promise me that you'll never party. Like you'll never do drugs, alcohol, smoke. He's like, these things have just really made my life so much harder and I've struggled because of them and and gotten into a lot of trouble because of it. I want you to promise me that you won't. And so it was super out of character for him to to ask something like that. And so I just said, "Hey, you know, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I I, I won't I won't do it." And then probably about 6 months later he died. He committed suicide. And after that happened, I remembered that conversation. And then that very next year, there was opportunities to drink. I had friends that were drinking around me that were smoking marijuana. And you're 13. Yeah, (laughs) it's 13. It was there like that next year and moving forward. But because of that commitment and because of kind of the experiences that he shared and what I saw in our family as a result of going through those challenges with drugs and alcohol, I'm like, no, I know where this goes. And I know, and not only do I know where it goes, but Steve committed me not to do it. And so I kind of became that guy with my my friends, like, hey, everyone knows Neil doesn't do any of this stuff. And they, they were really cool. They were like respected it. And I think I was able to be someone that, you know, people who were on the fence would kind of lean on a little bit to be like, hey, I'll hang with Neil. He's not doing anything. And so that felt good to be able to do that. But it's because of the experiences that I saw with Steve and being committed and where he committed me not to, not to engage in that stuff. It's pretty cool. I think he'd probably feel really good about the impact that that's had on your life. And then with Dave too, I asked you, do you have any regrets with Dave? Yeah. And that one, again, I don't like, we were super close. I think more in our adult life. I think as kids, we were, you know, you're just kind of kids and you're fighting and you're, you know, you have your buddies and you go hang out. But once he, he went in and served a mission, came back, like really wanted to be tight. And we hung out a lot. We'd go ride motorcycles together and hang out and ride bikes and stuff. And and then I went on my mission, came back, same thing. But I think the only thing that, and it's not so much a regret, it's just for me, kind of just not, it, it's just kind of a like a bummer memory for me is the last interaction I had. It was Christmas time. We live out here in California and then, you know, we'd fly back for holidays. So we went back and, you know, Christmas was over at his house with his family. Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. And so. Which we always had done up until that point with your family every year. So I was, you know, trying to set it up and logistically it's tough with kids. They got to be back early to be able to go down for bed and, you know, be ready for Christmas. And then, you know, they're trying to prepare things on for the house to have everybody come over. And so the timing, we were trying to work that out and it just kind of worked out to where 
we were trying to go a little earlier so I could spend more time and hang out with them. But it, it, you know, they were still getting ready. There were some logistical things that were hard. So we're like, well, we'll kind of head over that way. We were in North Salt Lake and Bountiful. They're out in South Jordan. And so we drove out there and then we're like, ah, we don't want to go too early. So let's kill some time. Let's go through. There was like a little light show out there that you could drive your car through for Christmas. And it was kind of this really cool, like little light show. So we go in there and we're driving through it. And I just had this kind of gnawing, nagging feeling of like, you need to get over there. Like you need to get over to Dave's house. And and it was just really bothering me, but we are already riding through this thing. And there's like 20 cars behind us. And then another 10 cars in front of us were just committed. And it just took a lot longer than I thought it would. And so we finally got over there and I was able to spend some time and just hanging out. And I had no idea what was going to happen a month later. So we just hung out and, you know, our last conversation was, it was just kind of a surface level conversation, you know, just kind of, you know, there's a lot going on, a lot of people. There's everyone's over there. He's hosting. And so he's kind of mingling with everybody and, you know, there's, it's kind of like me and a couple of my brothers and another family member all taught and chatting it up in a circle. And Dave's there in the circle kind of, you know, we're just having a conversation, but it, it just, I think it's just the regret of feeling like had I known and you never, you're never going to know, like mm-hmm. how could anybody have predicted anything that would have happened? Like you never know. And so I think it just, we said goodbye, kind of gave him like the, you know, the hug, like it, it, it was, it was just kind of like a quick, like, Hey, thanks, man. See you. Love you, bro. And then and Annabelle I, asking for, presents. and then my, and then Annabelle's like, <laughs> the last thing she asked him is like, do you have any Christmas presents for us? Like not as a joke. She's dead serious. Yeah. She's like, what Christmas presents do you have? No. <laughs> And like, she said, do you have any presents for me? You know, Dave's yeah. super nice. He's like, yeah, I think we've got some for you. You know, we'll hey, we'll get those. Neil and I are both just mortified. I'm like, oh my gosh, Annabelle! Like, please, you know, it's super embarrassing. But I, I guess that's just the the memory that I have that it is not. It's just, I guess, it's just kind of a, not a. It's a sad memory for me because I, it's like I wish there could have been more of a connection there or an opportunity to like you know, have a conversation that was really meaningful or thoughtful or expressive or anything like that. And it, I just felt like it was very, you know, a lot going on. He's hosting kind of surface level communication, which for us, we really would talk on deep levels. I talked a lot about recovery and my struggles and things. And, and he was like very involved in my recovery and so to have just a, a surface level and not really feel like a, you know, real strong connection as our last communication, mm-hmm. I guess it's a regret, but it's like, I, I don't know how we would have done that any differently. also told me about your actual last communication, which was yeah. pretty cool, right? Yeah. So that one prior to Christmas, prior to that happening, the last time seeing him, we did have a really just really awesome conversation. It was probably a, a, maybe a month before Christmas or a few weeks before even. And I called him for something, uh, you know, helping my parents out with something. And then we had this conversation for, you know, I, he was probably inspired. He was just, I could tell when I called him, you know, we talked about the thing with my, my family and my parents. And then he's like, I could tell he was more interested in just talking to me. And he's like, you know, we started talking and really being, he just was really honest and open. And it was a cool conversation. He just was saying like, I just feel like I'm trying to figure out what, what is next, what goal, what, I need to do in life next. I feel like I've accomplished kind of all the things that I need to accomplish, but I feel like spiritually, he kept saying spiritually, he's like spiritually, I feel like there's more and that I'm trying to figure out how to get that into my life. And 
how to advance. It was almost like that was the question that he kept asking was like, I just, so we talked a lot about that and I'm like, well, some things, you know, here's what I do. And spiritually I'm trying to engage more in conference talks and read my scriptures and have more meaningful prayer and go to recovery meetings and all this stuff. And I'm, you know, but I could, I could just tell that there was, it was beyond that, but it was just an amazing conversation. Really, really cool. And I just, there was a strong connection and just an expression of love back and forth. And I just walked, you know, kind of, it was while I was driving in the car and I just hung up the phone and was like, man, just wow. You know, wow. I'm so blown away at how amazing of an experience that was. So I think that was the last conversation that, that I can kind of really feel like, all right, I understand. And I was able to communicate you know, to where there was no doubt on how I felt about him or how he felt about me. And it was really powerful. And then I think a week before he died, I sent him a text message and was like, Hey man, read this conference talk or I listened to this. I love it. It's Elder Holland. Be therefore perfect eventually. One of my, you know, favorite talks. And so I you know, sent that over to him. He's like, thanks man. I'll give it a listen. And that was kind of, that was the last communication that I had with him. But yeah, I think it... But no regrets as far as like anything that was left unsaid or any hidden like resentments or things you needed to work out with him. No, not with either of my brothers. I think that it was, everything was left on the field, so to speak. And there was nothing that I'm like, man, I'm just hung up on. You know, I I wish the final in-person interaction with Dave would have been under different circumstances. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't have any regrets as far as, you know, anything in those relationships. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all of that. It's really powerful and a unique perspective that you have that a lot of people don't have because most people haven't lost at your age, two of their siblings. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I wanted to share. So there's, a talk called Of Regrets and Resolutions by Dieter Uchtdorf. And he talks about a nurse who cares for terminally ill people. And she says that she often asks a simple question of her patients as they prepare to depart this life. Do you have any regrets? And so these are some of the most common answers. Number one, I wish I had spent more time with the people I love. And I think that's really interesting. And and I love, Neil, that you are saying, for the most part, you don't have regrets. Like, I loved what you shared with me when we had our even longer conversation about how you and Dave rode motorcycles together and he made you such a priority after his mission. And you guys did so many memorable things together. You'd go boating. He, like, involved you. He made you such a priority in his life after his mission to serve, to spend time with you and that you know, that you talked about Steve, even though he was so much older and more mature and in a completely different phase of life, like always made time for you, played these pool games with you, had conversations that completely changed your life. And I think that's so cool. And I look at my life and again, one of my only regrets is not using that quality time that I had in the same household with my sister and building a really wonderful relationship that we could have had when we were growing up and trying to make up for that now, but just knowing that that's one of those things that I look back and I'm like, I'll never get that time back. We don't get to redo childhood. And if I could have, and if I would have understood then what I know now, I wish that's like the one thing in all of my childhood that I wish I would have done differently. That's, I think, a common thing for a lot of people. I wish I would have either spent more time with people I love or maybe spent that time differently or had different interactions. And then the next one I think is so interesting because you and I both related to this. I wish I had lived up to my potential. And you talked about that with the sports and the bike racing. And for me, one of my only regrets is that experience of Miss Utah where I wasted that. And it could have been something so cool. It really was a once in a lifetime opportunity for me that I look back and think, I did not show up confident that I was going to do my best. I showed up so unprepared. And I think that like quitting, not being prepared, not living up to your potential. I think that there's, there's a difference between that and I made a mistake and I learned from it versus I had an opportunity and I just passed on it. 
I either didn't work hard or I just quit or, you know, I think that's a regret that probably a lot of people have. I know that people that I admire and look up to have talked to me about wishing that they would have done more when they were in high school or when they were in college or in their education path leading them to their career that because they chose something different than what they know they had a potential for that their life went a different way. And I think that that's something that we can all learn from and look back at, okay, what were the things in life that I wish I would have followed through on or really lived up to my potential? And this is, I I love what Elder Uchtdorf says about this. So he says, I'm not speaking here of climbing the ladder of success in our various professions. That ladder, no matter how lofty it may appear on this earth, barely amounts to a single step in the great eternal journey awaiting us. Rather, I'm speaking of becoming the person God, our Heavenly Father, intended us to be. And that's like the real regret, right? Is looking back on your life and thinking, oh, I could have been something more. I could have had a greater impact or I could have lived my life in a different way. And that was one thing that I really learned when we studied the parable of the vineyard last year and the parable of the prodigal son. Both of those I felt like taught me this really strong lesson of, I don't, I, I don't think God cares if we figure it out at the very end or if we figure it out in the beginning and we live our whole life like on the quote unquote straight and narrow path. It's that people who wait and take a really long time that they're going to look back and regret all those years they could have had the fullness of joy of living in peace and knowing that they have peace with God and with themselves and knowing that they made choices that actually brought them happiness. I think that's where the real regret is. It's not that God is going to say to someone like you, Neil, oh, you paid your tithing your whole life. Therefore, you're going to get some greater reward in heaven than someone who turned their life around when they were 80 and lived the last couple years of their life really dedicated. I I don't think there's going to be a a measuring stick like that, but I think that people who knew they had that potential and they dropped out of the race or they didn't, they just didn't live their potential. I think a lot of those people may look back and think, man, I wasted a lot of the years of my life on earth where I could have been so much happier and so much more fulfilled living square with God and, and doing maybe better works or working toward things that really would matter in the long run. And I think that can also relate to people who are so sucked into their career that they forget the things that matter most, like family and being dedicated to the the best things in life. So this, he also says this, and I love this. Our Heavenly Father sees our real potential. He knows things about us that we do not know ourselves. He prompts us during our lifetime to fulfill the measure of our creation. And you talk about this. What's your famous quote that you love to say? My famous quote. I'm trying to remember. If if you got everything you Oh, wanted. yeah. Uh, well, it's not my quote. It's I heard it in a oh. recovery meeting. But if you got everything that you wanted in life you would shortchange yourself for what God has in store for you. Mm-hmm. So basically we have this plan, our own little plan of salvation, so to speak, like, man, I want this career. I want to do this and achieve that. And and a lot of times that is well below our potential or our abilities, or maybe we're not even seeing an opportunity that God knows we're capable of, of achieving and that we're only going to be able to experience with his help. And through the grace of of Christ, if we turn to him and ask and are willing to listen. Yeah. And I feel like we've lived that out in our marriage. And I feel like you and I got married with this like pretty cookie cutter view of what life was going to look like. And then the first step out of that was moving down here to California. And then after that, when you lost your job and then we just kept on this like roller coaster of things that God needed us to go through. And the more we turned the reins over to him and said, okay, whatever you want, we'll do it. The more he just kept directing us in this very clear path of this is what I need you to do. I need you to use your voice. I need you to talk about recovery, give people hope who feel like they have no hope, talk about your belief, talk about your faith. And as we've done that, I feel like God has just poured out all these blessings on us yeah. because we've been willing to just say, okay, literally whatever you want, we'll do it. 
And so that's just, I feel like because we've been willing to just let him take over, he's given us a life a million times more beautiful than anything you or I would have ever laid out as our plan. So that's been really, really so cool to see. And I, I feel grateful for it every day when I wake up and think about this, this is our life. I'm so grateful that we get to do this for work. We get to talk about the things we believe and we get to work side by side together and spend a lot of time with our kids. And there's just so many blessings that would never have come if it had been, okay, Corinne and Neil, you write down your, your life plan and then I'll just give you whatever you want. It was yeah. like God had a way better plan. My plan wasn't very cool. If it were up to me, I'd, you know, Mine my plan was like, oh, I'm out, you know, selling medical devices and doing really well there. And, and I look at, man, like how different life would be if, if that my quote unquote plan had worked out. Not only would it have not have been as great as a life as we have now, but it probably, you know, I'm like, I don't think, I don't know. I don't know who knows what would have happened. I don't know if we would we even be together. Like, I you know. know, like I have to look at that honest reality. Well, and and we've talked all about that too in our personal conversations. But also, I think it's important to know. I think some people look at, I guess, my career or what I do for work, and they, I think, some people assume, oh, you wanted this, you wanted to be a working mom. And the, the ironic thing is, I never envisioned myself as a working mom. And when Neil and I got married, it was just we were both on the same page that I would stay home with our kids and he would go out and work and we would just do that. We would do life that way. And it was actually something I really had to swallow my pride on and be willing to do what God pushed me to do, which is what we do now. And I have had so many, the opposite of that voice of warning, I've had so many times where the spirit has told me, this is exactly what God wants you to do right now. You are living your life exactly how Heavenly Father wants you to. And I'm so grateful for that. And I, But part of that really had to be me giving up my pride or my worry of what others would think or their perception of me or our life, or are we righteous enough? Or do we want to be on God's path because our life doesn't look exactly like the mold that a lot of people's lives look like in our culture. And it's just been, the longer we do this, the more I feel really fulfilled that I'm doing exactly what Heavenly Father intends for me to do. And that He has specific things that He needs me and only me to do. And I feel that is the case with everyone. And the only thing holding you back is your willingness to show up, to prepare for the pageant or to stay in the game when you get knocked down or to, you know, all of these proverbial things that we've talked about that if you can just let God lead you, he's got such great things in store for you. Okay. I want to talk about the last thing really quickly. The third regret that this nurse said that she hears the most, I wish I had let myself be happier. And I think that's super interesting, right? People get to the end of their life and they think, I spent so much of my life being miserable or being disappointed or or just waiting for something to make me happy. I think a lot of people feel that way. And I love what Dieter Uchtdorf says here. He says, so often we get caught up in the illusion that there's something just beyond our reach that would bring us happiness, a better family situation, a better financial situation, or the end of a challenging trial. The older we get, the more we look back and realize that external circumstances don't really matter or determine our happiness. We do matter. We determine our happiness. You and I are ultimately in charge of our own happiness. So what do you think of this, Neil? Well, I totally agree with it. I think that it's kind of this syndrome. I get caught in this and have been admittedly a lot of my life has been like, I'll be happy when mm -hmm. syndrome, I'll be happy when dot, dot, dot. And you can, you can fill in whatever blank. And and at different times in my life, it, it was like, oh, when I was in college, I'll be happy. I'll be so happy as soon as I graduate. Totally. Just get done with this. Or when I was single and, and it was kind of, this was a common one for a lot of everyone that I was around was like, I'll be happy when I find somebody. I'll be so fulfilled when I, I find the perfect person. Life will be so great. Mm -hmm. And it's like, life is still life and challenges are still challenges. And, and the marriage brings a ton of unique challenges and yep. new ones. And it's harder sometimes. And The um, lie of you complete me, 
<laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting nuances that you know you fall into, but I think I've I've definitely been caught in in that trap a lot of times, and it you just kind of end up chasing a rainbow, so to speak. You know, you just there's always something else that you need to to find joy in or, or feel like you need, and you never really get it until you can. I don't know. At least for me, it's when I stop and spiritually connect and mm -hmm. and really listen and do something to engage spiritually then it that peace comes in that fulfillment comes in and that's what brings in the happiness and joy and then it doesn't really matter externally what's happening and that I think of President Nelson. Well, quote. I wanted to ask you about that because we had a conversation about this too and this is this is the quote that has been requoted more, I think, than anything else recently in General Conference. He said in October of 2016, the joy we feel has little to do with the circumstances of our lives and everything to do with the focus of our lives. And tell me transparently how you felt about that. This, well, when this quote kind of hit and came out and became popular to where I was hearing it all over mm -hmm. was for me, it was like right after my brother died. And so I was in, and you know, and I'm still getting... Not just died, but was murdered. Was like, and yeah, yeah, it was just a really brutal situation and a really uh, traumatic situation. Yeah. And I mean, and that's still shaking out today even, and I'm still working through a lot of that. But I, but I honestly, I struggle with that. And, and it was really hard for me because I'm like, I'm doing everything that I know to do to be spiritually focused to take spiritual actions to you know surround myself with with uplifting things that that you know are really helpful and good and and there are just days where I just don't feel good and I I don't I'm sad I feel a strong sense of loss like nothing is exciting to me. I mean, I told one of my buddies, I'm like, you know, he asked me, he's like, how you doing, man? And, he, you know, a close friend of mine and is after a recovery meeting. And I'm like, dude, I feel like somebody could give me a Lamborghini right now. And I just wouldn't even care. Like I w it would not even excite me at all. And so I struggled with that quote for a long time. And, and I'm like, I just don't, I, I'm struggling to feel that joy. And I feel like I'm focused on Christ. What's the deal? Yeah. Um, and so that was hard for me. But nonetheless, I do think back to those times and it's like, did I not speak peace to your mind? Like God spoke peace to my soul and I, like, I felt strengthened and there was a dark time. And I look at, there's different examples in the scriptures, Joseph Smith and Liberty Jail, you know, different times where really solid people went through things and were spiritually focused and, and, you know, maybe they didn't, express their experiences or describe it as being joyful. I don't think Joseph Smith and Liberty Jail talks about being joyful, you know, but ironically until the very end, what, what is kind of cool about that example is he starts out, where are you, God, basically, but by the end of, you know, a couple sections later, it's like, let's joyfully do all that's in our power and then stand still and and with the utmost assurance and see God's arm to be revealed. So it, it does change yeah. in that sense. But there is a time where there's serious struggle. It's really, it's something definitely to think on. And I I thought of when you were talking about that, how Sherry Dew points out, and Sherry Dew is just one of my favorite people, but she points out that in the Book of Mormon, there's only a couple times when it says, never were there a happier people. And one of the times is right toward the end of the Book of Mormon where everyone is super wicked and everything's falling apart and people are getting murdered and it's just like a super, super challenging time. But the people who stay really strong in the gospel are really happy because they're tied to the most important things. And so, yeah, I don't want to dismiss at all what you're talking about or what you learned, but I think it is a true principle that the joy that we feel is not necessarily about our circumstances, but the focus, the focus of our lives. And and I think there can be times and seasons, and that's true for everyone, where you go through peaks and valleys, but overall having true joy. That was my favorite scripture 
that I ever read where it was just this humongous aha moment for me. And it's still my favorite scripture today. Second Nephi 2.25, men are that they might have joy. When I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, God put us on this earth to have joy, to be happy. And at that point in my life, I had just felt like, oh, we're here to suffer and learn and and go through hard things and get through them and be and become better and just kind of struggle. I don't know. That that sounds dramatic, but when I read that and thought, wow, that is the point of us being here. Men are that they might have joy. It was transformative for me and I feel like that's I'm not perfect at it and I have to try all the time, but that's something that when I really try to make my focus on the right things, they do bring joy. And here's one example that, you know, even during that real struggle of postpartum depression last year, and it really was a true struggle. It was one of the hardest times, one of the hardest things I've ever been through in my life. I had moments of joy with Harry and with times that I remember, specifically, I remember being afraid that if I were to take antidepressants that I wouldn't be able to feel the spirit. And I remember once I started taking them, the first time I felt the spirit and feeling so grateful and just feeling like, thank you, Heavenly Father, for still allowing me to feel the spirit, even though I'm going through this hard thing, I am taking medication to get through it, that I was still able to feel the spirit. And that was like a moment of joy for me. And so maybe the joy is different at different times of our lives and it comes in different ways. But I think that focus is what really defines whether we see it that way or we are, or are we focused on all the hard things that we're going through? Okay. Lastly, I want to go to just to tie a bow a little bit on everything Elder Uchtdorf says to avoid some of the deepest regrets of life. It would be wise to make some resolutions today. And so he has three resolutions. Number one, Resolve to spend more time with those we love. Number two, resolve to strive more earnestly to become the person God wants us to be. And number three, resolve to find happiness regardless of our circumstances. And I think all three of those are super powerful. I love that they're not specific to any type of faith or or even like any lifestyle. Like hopefully everyone wants to spend time with people they love, become the person, their full potential of the person that they could be, and then find happiness. Like those are three easy things that, I mean, they're not easy, but they're three simple things that we can all focus on and would just have a better quality of life doing. So that's my takeaway from this. And I feel like it was a really valuable conversation to have with you and learn from you the the things that you regret and the things that you don't regret. And so I really have enjoyed our conversation today. Do you have any final thoughts? You know what? I I don't on this one. I I think you said it beautifully. I think that sometimes that can be a powerful and is a powerful exercise is to fast forward life or fast forward a situation and saying, okay, I'm walking out the door Mm -hmm. from this situation or I'm exiting my life. What matters? And use that as like a litmus test of Am I focusing on the right things? Am I going in the right direction? And how powerful it is. Well, thanks, Neil, for all of your candidness and your willingness to be vulnerable today and talk about things that are close to your heart. And I hope anyone listening to this will take that challenge to make those three resolutions and hopefully find more joy in your life. So, thanks. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.